I think we'll go on to read the gospel lesson. Uh, you have the New Testament lesson there before you from Corinthians. And just a note, if you're really observant today and you had the lectionary bulletin, you saw it's for January 15. And what I've decided to do this week was to uh, take the lectionary text of next Sunday, where I plan not to be here, and preach on it, and then bring in the text for this Sunday, which would be the baptism of our Lord from Matthew's gospel. And so that's, that's my thinking here uh, today as uh, we read from John chapter 1 at verse 29. And I didn't want to miss out on, on preaching on this passage. It's a very important one and uh, very dear to my heart. Hear God's word, John 1 at verse 29. And the John that's mentioned here is John the Baptist or some people refer to him, John the Baptizer. John 1, 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Thus far, the reading from God's holy word. I'll invite you to turn back in the scriptures to John chapter 1 at verse 29. And we'll begin with prayer. Lord, we thank you that you have given us this wonderful gospel that brings before us the work, the supernatural work that you have done in our history, in the history of salvation, in the history of the world. Uh, We thank you, God, that the message is life-changing Uh, We thank you, O God, that it brings light to our darkness. We thank you, O God, it gives us hope. And uh, we pray for 
the result of a strong faith today. We ask blessing on the preaching that it would be faithful. We pray that you would be our rock, our redeemer. Amen. When people stand at the crossroads of life, uh, there's a special opportunity uh, to live by faith. When you know we, we get to important uh, places when uh, we have to decide what work we're going to be doing uh, in life, uh, where we go, perhaps where we go to school or where we go to technical school or where we live. Uh, I had to make those choices and uh, you did as well. Um, for those that are married, uh, you know, who you're going to marry and what are the qualifications going to be uh, for that partner. Uh, we often go by visual, by what our common sense tells us. But we have to, if we live the Christian life, uh, really be looking to Christ. So we have to be convinced that he is the Messiah, that he's the, the Christ, that he is uh, the king. Uh, we would probably go with that title more than these others here. The one who is anointed to be uh, our, our ruler. Well, this verse here that I'm going to read uh, from verse uh, 29 is one that uh, I have a memory of from long ago, and I recently heard R.C. Sproul's uh, video, uh, audio, I guess, would be uh, where he uh, made uh, comment of a verse in John chapter 3 that he messed up on when he was given a, uh, a chance to recite the verse on radio, and he, he turned some words around and said it wrong, and that bothered him. He always had that, that memory. Uh, it, it turned out pretty funny, and he kind of laughed about it, but he wished he hadn't done it. And uh, I have something like that for other verses of the Bible, and for this one, in verse 29, uh, I have a memory of long ago, oh, about 40 years back, being included in a, a family gathering of someone in the church that took me some distance away, and somebody got the idea. At that time, trivia was a big thing, right? And somebody got, and there was some game that somebody had, like a Bible trivia. I don't know if that was the actual name of it or not. There were variations of that. And, uh, and so they insisted I play with them, which probably wasn't a good idea. You know, so if somebody goes to school for three years and studies, you know, don't, don't play against a pastor. Uh, it's not a good thing, really. And, and so I'm sitting there listening to people, you know, get questions that they can't answer and stuff. And, and uh, when, you're, when you're a pastor teacher, you want people to know everything about the Bible, right? And one of the questions that came up then was, who's the Lamb of God? And the person who had the question didn't know it. Well, I had a meltdown. I was like, you know, I just like went hysterical in my chair. I was like, are you kidding me? You know, I was like, I, I, it came out before I even realized it. I really messed up there in that one. It, it wasn't very good for the atmosphere, but... That's what happened to me. And so if you're ever playing the game, you know, I, I want, and you get the question, okay, and you may never do that, but this better be the answer. Here's, here's John the baptizer. 
and Jesus is coming to him. And he's coming to him after he's been baptized. He's coming to him after the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. And now, 40 days plus later, he's come back. And John sees Jesus coming toward him. And he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We sometimes have that word, behold, from other translations. And we have, sometimes have the word, lo, which is a shortened ver a version of the word, look. I bet, neither, I bet you don't use lo, and I bet you don't use behold in your normal conversation. I use look, and I do that quite a bit. You know, I, I'm going to tell a little bit of my wife here today. She's not here. I did warn her might, I might use it. She didn't scold me too bad. But we're driving down the road, right? You know? And, 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 and so this beautiful eagle gets up out of the ditch. And, and I'm driving. I'm going, in one second, I'm going the length of this church, right? 65 miles an hour. That's the, the distance you're covering. And, and I say to her, what? I say, look. And where's she? She's on her cell phone. And there's like a three-second delay, right, before. She will look, but it's, it, it's not that urgent, you know. It's, and then the bird's here, and I'm over there. and it's Okay, so that's the idea. And if you ever do it, maybe you husbands can relate to it, where you're saying, look. And it's a, it's a word for attention. It's, it, it's, a, it's a command form. Now, when I tell my wife that, I'm not really commanding her, but I, I do want her to you know, share that experience with me. And, uh, and that's what John is doing here. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's announcing the mission uh, of Jesus, and that's his mission. Uh, it's a mission for any preacher to, in the sermon to say, that's where you got to focus. That's Jesus. That's the one. Think of, think of what he's saying here. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What an amazing idea. The sin of the world. A, a, a man who can take away the sin of the world. Look. And that's the activity, actually, of the follower Christ. The book of Hebrews chapter 12 is... The writer talks about these people who live by faith and, faith, and he tells us what to do. He said, fix your eyes on Jesus. In other words, look at him. What does the psalmist say in Psalm 16? Uh, the NIV has it, uh, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I'll not be shaken. Uh, the newer NIV, which I don't like as much, but this verse, they do a nice job on it. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. That's where our focus needs to be. And that's what we need to be doing. We need to be focusing on Christ. And so when we're at the crossroads of life, we've got to make that decision. What we're going to do next. And we, we think we need to pray and ask ask the Lord, and we need to look to him and, and say, okay, he's got a plan for my life, and, and I want to serve him. That's who Jesus is. He's, he's the Lamb of God. And when we get to that kind of 
uh, thinking where we see that he's fulfilling that Passover lamb imagery here where the, you know, the people are slaves in Egypt and it's come the last plague. And the last plague, there are 10 of them, uh, to get the people out of Egypt. The last plague is the death of the firstborn. It's going to happen all through Egypt. And God said, if you're going to be a believer, here's what you got to do. You got to take a perfect lamb. That's got, that lamb's got to be slaughtered. And the blood has got to be put on the doorposts of the house and the sides of the door frames of your house. So when that destroying angel comes, he's going to see the blood of the Passover lamb and he's going to pass over your house so that nobody will die in your house. And we see the instructions, the lamb was meant to be eaten and none was left over. Jesus is a Passover lamb. He says in John 6, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. He's referring to himself being that sacrifice, the result of the Passover, the 10th plague, uh, but the people being spared and that event being called the Passover. The result was the people were delivered out of Egypt. They were, it was deliverance from being a slave. Now, some of you have worked some nasty jobs and you probably thought that your employer was a slave driver. Now, you were a slave. But you can't even compare to what the, these people had to go through. And, and then one day, the next day, they're free. They're free to go. They're free to leave. They got their clothes on. They've had their food. They're going to they're gonna leave Egypt. They're no longer going to be a slave. And God said in Exodus 20, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And I'm going to tell you my commands. But I brought you out of the land of slavery so you could obey me. In Romans chapter 6, we read that we're no longer to be slaves to sin. Uh, we were once slaves to sin, uh, but now we, we've been delivered, and we are to be alive to God. So this, I, this is how we relate to this idea of being delivered out of slavery. We also have this idea that Jesus would fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah 53, 6 to 7, regarding the suffering servant, uh, the one that uh, is, uh, we're, we're told there, that the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of all. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. The nails that nailed him, the spear that wounded him, that was for our transgressions. By his wounds we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's a picture of sacrifice. Of our, the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. And the message of the Bible is you do not want to stand before God bearing even one sin. Not like Adam and Eve, not even one sin of an afternoon. Do you want to have standing, but you won't be able to stand before him. But with Jesus who died on the cross for your sins as the Lamb of God, as the only one who could make the sacrifice, the only one who is worthy. And this picture of the Lamb comes up over and over again in the book of Revelation as the title of Jesus. Jesus, we see secondly, is the eternal Son of God. Now, John is very, very clear about this. Uh, he 
uh, has, has no doubt. Uh, what he has seen here is that, that Jesus uh, has uh, fulfilled what the signs he was looking for. And uh, we see uh, John realizing that he is uh, by nature greater than he is. In verse 30, this is a paradox that we're going to read about. I always ask the catechism uh, students to explain this to me. This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Usually the person who goes first in whatever activity it is, is the greater. But here, John the Baptist came first. He came preaching. He got the crowds. But now Jesus is going to come. John the Baptist is going to be diminished. And Jesus is going to be greater. And John knows that. And he says, the man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now, how did that happen? You read the beginning of the gospel, and you have the writer saying that in the beginning, and if you know the Bible, you know the next part would be God created the heavens and the earth. But in the gospel, it goes in the beginning, making you think of creation, in the beginning was a word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and later the word became flesh and dwelled among us. He became man, and he lived for a while among us. And so John realizes that Jesus is God, that Jesus is eternal. And he said, I, I myself wouldn't know, have known him, but he said, uh, I was given this sign. And, and, and the sign was that the, the one who would have the spirit come down from heaven as a dove, uh, he, would, he would be that one. And, and this is what John experienced in the baptism of Christ that we find in Matthew's gospel in chapter 3. That would have been the lectionary text for today. Uh, we find uh, John preaching in the wilderness. It wasn't preaching in a church. It wasn't in a good location by Jerusalem. It was a ways off in the wilderness. And he was such an, an amazing preacher. God was so blessed by the Spirit of God that people went out to him, and there was a movement of people like never before. They went out to him confessing their sins. They were under conviction. They came crying and tearing their garments and, and just shattered spiritually. And John baptized them for repentance. And the Pharisees showed up and the Sadducees. And they didn't have that kind of conviction. And John confronted them and said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? He said, produce fruit and keep him with repentance. And then in Matthew 3, Jesus comes. He comes after uh, some of this has happened. Uh, he comes, and uh, John has this recognition that he ought to be baptized by Jesus. And, and it, how can he baptize Christ? He, he, he kind of steps back, and, and Jesus said, no, you, you need to do this to fulfill the scriptures. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately went up from the water. And we have the word there, behold, like we would use it, lo and behold, attention to that. Behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God 
descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. John said, I saw that. I, I saw that happen. And he had seen the sign in verse 33 of our, of our reading today. Uh, he said, I would not have known him except the one who sent me to baptize with water told me. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. And so you have this message over and over again in the gospel. And it's at the end of the gospel where John said, look, I, I chose these miracles as signs so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you have life in his name. And, and, and I trust that's where you're at today. And if not, that you'll be there at the end of the sermon. Uh, John saw the sign come to pass and he could confidently announce, he could confidently announce that Jesus is the Son of God. No question. Because John saw the Spirit come down he had no doubt then also heard his voice, this is my son, this is the beloved one. And John said, I, I testify this is the son of God. And so we see that Jesus is a teacher to follow. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And we see uh, John, uh, he's got his own disciples. We see his disciples later uh, in uh, the gospel record as they come to Jesus and ask him uh, with the questions that John sent. Uh, he says, when Jesus is passing by, he said something similar to what he said before. Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. You know, sometimes it takes us a long time to figure things out. And John's got to say it twice, this real startling message. But these two disciples of John the Baptizer realized the opportunity, and they followed Jesus. Now, one of them was Andrew. Uh, he's mentioned by name. The other one, we're not told. But we can surmise that it was a gospel writer, and his name was John. Not John the Baptizer, but John the gospel writer. And for the gospel writer, he remembered the day and the hour of when he started following Jesus. When, he saw, when, they, uh, when John said this, the two disciples followed Jesus, and turning around, Jesus saw them following him and asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, spent that day with him, it was about the 10th hour. And so in the experience of John, the gospel writer, he remembered the day and the hour, about the 10th hour, 4 o'clock in the afternoon for their way of reckoning time. And the invitation of Christ, come and you will see. Come and you will see. I like the psalm uh, that says, uh, taste and see that the Lord's good. You have to experience him. And that's a call, the invitation. And the call of the disciples to follow Christ, this is what the disciples are doing here. They're following him. And then in verse 43, Jesus calls another disciple, Philip, and he says, follow me. And this is what we see at the end of the gospel where Peter is reinstated and Jesus said to him, follow me. That really describes the Christian life, follow me. But it requires a high view of Jesus. 
You have to trust him more than your own common sense. You have to trust him more than any other human being, you know, including yourself. Uh, you, you, you have to trust him uh, more. You know, some, sometimes you follow people, but only a ways. I, I wouldn't want you following me and everything I did. I want you to follow me in the ways I follow Christ. But we all fall short, but not Jesus. He always gets it right. His, his teaching is always going to be the one we should follow. And we see Jesus here uh, being recognized by Andrew as the Messiah. And what did he do? Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, is one of the two who heard what John had said, who followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You'll be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So the first thing Andrew did was he told his brother Simon, which we know um, more familiar with the name Peter, that Jesus was the Messiah. We found him. We found the Christ. And uh, we see here is Jesus is, yeah, he's our Messiah, but he's for other people too that haven't figured it out yet. And the disciples didn't need to know a lot to witness, and you don't either. Disciples really don't have to have a theology degree. Disciples can go on a bare amount of knowledge. Here, here's what Andrew did. Just an afternoon of being with Jesus, we found, we found the Christ. He went and found his brother. And he brought his brother to Jesus to experience. And so if you're a disciple of Jesus, you need to be thinking along those lines. I remember an old elder of our church when I first came here a long time ago, as you recall, and uh, this man was telling us in a, in a group meeting, I've heard it more than once, of the fact that he wasn't going to church after he came back from World War II, and he was, he was uh, working, uh, constructing a house in town, and uh, a little girl came by. And they called him by name and said, when he got his attention, he, she asked a personal question. Little girl, why don't you come to Sunday school and learn about Jesus? He said he couldn't get that out of his head. A little girl coming to ask him. And he started coming to church after that. Started coming to this church after that. If you're a disciple of Jesus... That's all you need to know. But you have to be convinced he's the one. And you must not be confused regarding who Jesus is. If you're a Christian, you have a simple gospel to share. You can be like, John, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. My sacrifice for my sins, your sacrifice for your sins. He's the one that every person in the world needs because every person in the world is a sinner uh, that is in rebellion against God without the Lord. Why don't you come to church and learn about Jesus? What a simple message to share. Let's pray. Father God, help us to have that activity of looking at Christ so that others too might look to him. Help us to have Jesus always before us, uh, that he would be at our right hand, that we would not be shaken. We pray in his name. Amen.